Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. How has it been since your, uh, this was your first week at the time of this recording at IGN? How did it go for you? Yeah, I have a day job now. <laughs> <laughs> no more day drinking for you, gosh darn it. Yeah, it was great being reunited with uh, Reb and Matt. It was a lot of fun seeing some old familiar faces. Yeah, you actually, um, you're getting to work with John Davison now, aren't you? He's my old mentor. Uh, he is like multiple steps above me, so I don't get to see him very much. <laughs> well, if you ever do see him, tell him I said hi. I wonder if he remembers me. I will make sure to say hi. But in the meantime, we're going to talk about RPGs. Specifically, we're going to be doing our console RPG quest. This week, we are going to be continuing on with the PlayStation Vita and making about 100 Vita means life jokes. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> this whole episode will just be like uh, a couple hours of Vita means life jokes. I think I look forward to it indeed. Next year, the Vita is going to be retro, Nadia. Oh my God, that's so sad. I, I can't even begin to describe how that's like a, a, a that's a topic for a sonnet at this rate. <laughs> that's, it's wild to me that the Vita has been around that long. It does not feel like it's been around that long. I, I think back on it, and I'm like, oh, the Vita, it's about five years old. It, it died after a year. <laughs> R.I.P. We'll be getting to our conversation on the PlayStation Vita a little bit later. But first, thank you so much for listening to Acts of the Blood God. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. We're also on social media. I'm on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at... Nadia Oxford, and I have been known to stream from time to time on twitch.tv slash TV. As you may know, right now we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where at the $5 level, you get access to our episodes a week early and ad-free, and you also get access to tons of exclusive content. Just recently, we did an interview with Brian Mitsoda, who worked on Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines and Alpha Protocol and shared his secret JRPG origins, Nadia. What are his secret JRPG origins? You got to listen to the episode, Nadia. <laughs> I mean, I didn't get a chance to listen to it yet, but it sounds pretty cool, actually. Let me guess. Uh, um, Dragon Quest. No, you got to go listen. Mm -hmm. Okay, like okay, if you want to know, you got to pay up. That's that's the that's the deal. <laughs> it was surprising to me though, Nadia, because so many PC RPG developers and Brian Mitsoda obviously worked on so many of them. He was at Black Isle Studios, he was at Troika, he was at uh others. <laughs> Obsidian. He was <laughs> at Obsidian. Uh -huh. Sorry, the vaccine's getting into my brain a little bit, so I couldn't like. I'm having a hard time focusing at the moment. Beep boop! Now you're a robot. Beep boop! But yes, I have that 5G wireless, so everything is going very well with our connectivity this time around. But Brian Mitsoda, yeah, so many PC RPG developers usually get their start playing D and D or something to that effect. But so it was surprising to me to hear that Brian Mitsoda played so many console RPGs. That's cool. It's nice to have a. Uh a PC developer who rose from console trash where I am happily situated. Yes. Uh, go listen to our interview with Brian Mitsoda. And remember, we are also doing our Pantheon Game Club with Terra Nigma 
right now, yes. Nadia, which is very exciting. I can just feel you going, yes, at last, my time has come. Have you ever seen that meme with the, the guy pressed against the window and his uh, shirt says sickos and he's saying, ah, yes, yes, <laughs> that's me. Okay, Nadia, we'll be getting to the news in just a moment. But before we do that, what is your offering to the Blood God this week? Well, I suppose I can say I am playing Shin Megami Tensei 3 Remake. I can't say much about the remake because I'm still under embargo at the time of the when this episode goes up. But I suppose I can say, well, from a Shin Megami 3 Tensei, just as a vanilla game, as a vanilla experience, I, I am enjoying it quite a bit. And I am appreciating, again, how much different Shin Megami Tensei is from Persona. Uh, just to give you an example, I tried to recruit a... Uh, a fairy or some sort of some sort of demon and it turns out there are certain demons you cannot recruit because their friends won't let you so you'll try to recruit them and their friend will be like hey hey hands off my friend don't go away leave him alone so you have to kind of kill their friend first and then ask hey you want to join my band and they'll be like yeah sure why not and i i just thought that was um uh, again shin megami tensei is uh, quite a bit more difficult uh, even though I probably can say that there is an easier option to use in uh, the remake. Um, one thing that kind of bothers me is, uh, was Shin Megami Tensei 3 always sparse with uh, save points? Yes, probably, because it came out on the PS2 back in the early 2000s. Well, well, there it is, I suppose. But yes, I am playing that. Um, I am playing the Final Fantasy fourteen had its five point five content patch. That was that was fun. That was a lot of dragon stuff going on. I am also playing, uh, or I'm, I tried to play Saga Remastered. That was um, strange. Saga Saga's gonna Saga as usual. Yeah, I also got a code for Saga Frontier Remastered, which is now available, and. I picked the character who is a magician and is out to learn about all the magic. And the, her quest is literally, go learn about all the magic. Good luck. And you head out into the world and it's like, okay, what do I do? I guess I just start talking to people. If you listen to our episode from last week in which we talked about how to tame the wildest RPGs, well, I followed my strategy. I was talking to the villagers. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to Saga, though, you're really kind of on your own, no matter how you tame these RPGs. Like, I started with the the monkey boy, Riki, and that his whole thing is he comes from a world where the, it's dying and you have to get rings to, to restore it. So I go to the human world and I start asking around the tavern about these rings. And you have, you have a few people who are like, OK, yeah, I'll join you on your quest. Sure, I got nothing better going on. And then they hear about how the proprietor of the town has one of the rings. So we're like, okay, let's go, let's go ask him if he'll give up the ring. So we go to him and we say, can we have your ring, please? And he says, well, only, just paraphrasing here, uh, only if the blue-haired chick sleeps with me. And she's like, okay. And she, she just, they just disappear into the quote-unquote factory area. And we're like, oh, we got to go save her. I'm like, you knew me for literally three minutes and you went to go sleep with this guy over a ring that I needed? What is going on here? And then I just said, okay, you know what? I'm going to start with another hero. So I picked, I think his name is Blue. He was a swordsman. And he's driving with his dad, even though he's a swordsman and driving in a car, a convertible, whatever. I, I just don't know at this point. And a robot drops on the hood of their car. 
and they spin out of control. And this other robot tries to kill uh, the blue and this this guy in, in a mech suit saves him. And, and since he's dying, he makes him a quote unquote superhero. And he's in like armor now. And the the guy who saved him is like, if you if you're not a hero, you're you're going to die anyway. We're going to you're going to have to kill you. And he's like, oh, well, I was going to die anyway, so I don't care. And then suddenly he's working on a ship, an airship, and I just don't know what's going on anymore. I feel like I took like 60 pounds of drugs before playing that. I've been kawazooed again, I suppose. That's what your note says. I think I've been kawazooed again. Yeah, <laughs> you've been hit by a smooth kawazoo. <laughs> I will say that it's very pretty. It's a very nice looking game. Um, I know a lot of people who actually kind of enjoyed the first game. I, I have a friend actually. And they were like, oh, I, I love Saga Frontier. And uh, I said, really? And they said, uh, actually, I liked one of the stories and the rest of them I just hated. So <laughs> I think looking at the reviews, again, you're looking at a Saga experience from start to finish where you have some people who are absolutely like gung-ho on this game. And you have the other people who are like, huh, I don't know what's going on anymore. And even the people who love the game are just like, uh, yeah, it, it embraces the best and the worst of retro RPGs and don't be afraid to pick up a guide. So even though this is a remaster, I get the impression it's not really any friendlier than the original game was. So it's been a very hot topic of conversation over in our Discord. <laughs> yeah, no surprise there. It does have its fans um, who are extremely dedicated and deserve all the kudos because they can figure this out. I just... Yet again, I have to sit here and say, I am not a Saga person. I think that Saga is for the people who just wanted something different from their RPGs, their 16-bit RPGs. And admittedly, they were very pretty and kind of off the wall and involved you exploring kind of a, a bonkers world. So if you were kind of bored with the more straightforward Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest experience, you had the Saga games, hey! You sure did. And it's not like... I hated Saga. I mean, I loved Final Fantasy Legend, even though I guess I was younger then and I had more time to to putz around with a game where I had no idea what was going on. If I had more time and more patience, I'd putz around with Saga and maybe get a feel for its flaws and appreciate them regardless. Is it me or is that translation not very good? I just, I, I can say the dialogue for the uh, Riki story uh, thread so far is not very good. So far, it hasn't really stood out to me one way or another, but I wouldn't be surprised, especially if it's a legacy localization. Mm. Yeah, pretty much. I could totally see it if they kept the translation. I had no idea if they kept the translation or not, but it feels like that old PlayStation translation, uh, kind of Final Fantasy VII adjacent in a way. Well, Nadia, I played the Diablo II Re-Resurrection Technical Yay. Alpha last weekend and i have to say i was very impressed it was very good that's pretty cool i'm glad to hear that yes uh it's kind of remarkable so you can go back and forth between the old graphics and the new graphics and Ooh. the leap from the old graphics to the new graphics is substantial to the point where it was just like yeah this is cute going back to the old graphics and everything but i really need to stay in the old the new graphics this is like way way better it's like you switch back and it's like oh okay there's my five minutes of nostalgia and i'm back to the back to the cell the, the hd remake it really what really stood out to me nadia was just how different it was from diablo 3 mm -hmm. because diablo 3 
is really cartoony by comparison. It's it's obvious that they took a ton of cues from the World of Warcraft, which, of course, at the time, uh. World of Warcraft was really at its height when they were developing Diablo 3. And I think they had a house style by this point, and they really wanted right. to bring Diablo 3 more into that particular style. Playing Diablo 2 Resurrection, it's a real throwback to a different era, the pre-WoW era of Blizzard. And I'm going to be honest with you, Nadia. I think I like that pre uh, that era of Blizzard a lot better. Like Blizzard got kind of obnoxiously cartoony at, at a certain point. I have to say I do love Blizzard's art style for WoW. I think it's very distinctive, and I think that's important. But I never even considered that maybe that, yes, they did unify everything at one point. And I just did not really realize that. So that's an interesting thing that you bring up. I like the idea of a Diablo that's actually kind of creepy and scary because, I, I mean, Diablo 3 wasn't really that creepy or scary, but it was a lot of fun. It's also much more of a kind of classic PC RPG style. Like you talk about how in Saga Frontier, which is not a PC RPG, I'll admit, is a game that kind of just drops you in and tells you to go, just go figure things out. Go, go talk to people. It's a little bit like that with Diablo 2 as well. Whereas Diablo 3 is a much more straightforward and kind of linear progression, especially at the very beginning. Diablo 2 just drops you right into a hub and you're surrounded by some some people, some quest givers, and then you just go and talk to them and they're like, go go find a cave. Go kill some things in that cave. And I'm like, I could do that, I guess. To the Den of Evil. It's literally called the Den of Evil. <laughs> And, Gee, I wonder if there's evil inside. And then you just start building up your character, right? <laughs> it's like, there's just no frills whatsoever. There, There's a story to it, but the game is very much, figure it out. You, you can figure it out. Go, go ahead. I think that I won't have a problem with that because, heck, I play Final Fantasy XIV and that's all about being dropped into a hub and you figure things out for yourself. It, it, with a matter of saga, it's just like, why are you sleeping for this monkey boy who needs rings? I don't know what's going on here. That was my confusion. One of the nice things about the Diablo 2 Resurrection is that it has controller support now. And so if you're playing on PC, the classic interface has it where basically you have two spells or two uh, skills that you can use at any given time that are accessible by left or right click because the concept of a hot bar wasn't really a thing at the time. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> but what you had to do was you had to basically assign hotkeys to the different skills so you would access them from like F1, F2, F3. Whereas on the, if you play with the controller, you can just assign the skills to all of the different buttons. And so just instantly I felt much more comfortable and I was like, okay, controller for Diablo 2 Technical Alpha great idea i'm like totally into it so i think that diablo 2 resurrection will do what a great remake should do it will bring a classic game to a new generation and make it just so much more accessible but will not lose what made the original so special in the first place i think they're doing a great job with this one so we're not looking at another situation with a destroyed uh, Warcraft 3, was it, with the remake? God, I hope not. <laughs> that that would a, be very sad. That was a bad scene with uh, Warcraft. Yeah. Well, here's the thing with Diablo 2. Like, with Warcraft 3 was such a disaster that 
they basically looked at the Diablo 2 Resurrection project, which was also in development, and went, oh, God, we really need to go back to the drawing board with this one. And basically pulled the plug on the original team. They brought Vicarious Visions into Blizzard as a whole because Vicarious Visions had already been working on it. But in many ways, they rebooted the project. So, yeah, like, and it's better for it. Like the Mm -hmm. catastrophe that was Warcraft 3, which makes me sad because I love Warcraft 3, probably did a lot to help Diablo 2 in the long run. So painful lessons learned. Painful lessons learned. Beyond that, I'm still playing Monster Hunter, Nadia. Yeah, I was playing um, a lot of Monster Hunter before I stopped for Shin Megami Tensei 3. And uh, I still plan to to play Monster Hunter because it's quite addicted. Yeah, I'm still in low rank, but we're about to get to level four. I've been playing basically kind of nightly with a group of people. And we've been Mm -hmm. actually grinding a lot more than maybe expected uh, given that we're still at low rank, but I have a really good set of armor now and a really sweet bow, the sinister bow. What's your armor? What monster? It's like Izuchi, the Izuchi armor, which uh, has a really cool scarf. I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. Okay. I had the Izuchi armor for a long time because it just looks so cool, mm-hmm. and I didn't really see. That's a problem with Monster Hunter. I don't want to get rid of armor because it looks cool. I know there's a layer system or something like that, but yeah. it's just. Oh, here's a tortoise armor that's like really uh, much stronger. I'm like, no, it looks stupid. I don't want to use that. I want to use the bird armor. And I put it on my palico and I put it on my my palamute, and they all look awesome. I actually changed it though to the um, I can't remember the name of that stupid monster that holds the egg, but I changed it to to their side. Oh, I hate that thing. <laughs> yeah, it's stupid. Every time I see it, I'm like oh, I got to go kill it. That's not on your list of things to do. Yeah, but you got to kill it. And Nadia, five patch five point five is out for Final Fantasy fourteen. How's that going? I haven't done the raid because I know it's all like near stuff and I just uh, have not followed the near stuff in Final Fantasy XIV out at all yet. I'm thinking to myself, uh, should I play near first? Maybe I should play near first. But here's great. The story um, was not quite as tragic as I was expecting. I have to say that the bridge between Stormblood and Shadowbringers was, was just excellent. And I don't think the bridge between uh, Shadowbringers and Endwalker has that same hook, but that's not to say it's things aren't going to get turned upside down when thing, when the new patch comes out. So, yeah, I, I still enjoyed myself very much. The new dungeon is a lot of fun because I mentioned last show that uh, you have to free Tiamat, and you free her, and she helps you out with the new dungeon. It's pretty damn cool. And, uh, yeah, Istinian is now a, a full-fledged dragoon, the way he should be, as in he rides dragons, he doesn't kill them. Well, Nier will be out next week, so that will be fun to discuss. That will, oh, uh, gosh, I, re- I should really do Automata. <laughs> I can't believe I haven't done that yet. Yeah, I've got the Nier remaster on my PS5 right now, but I've been distracted by MLB The Show. (laughs) (laughs) Is that damn game getting its hooks into you again? Uh, Well, FIFA has always been one that has been more of a problem, but since I moved my PS5 into the office, it's really easy for me to just turn on my PS5 and play a couple of rounds here and there. So, mm-hmm. and what I'll often do is put on a podcast and be listening to a podcast while playing MLB The Show. And that is a frightfully addicting way to enjoy a sports game, I have to say. That is a very, are you listening to like sports podcasts while you play sports games? Yes. I was listening to the Total Soccer Show, which is a wonderful soccer show while playing wow. my baseball game. So, 
<laughs> Talk about things that would confuse me. No, listen, it's Champions League season, Nadia. Oh boy! Yay! I'm excited for you. Yay! My teams Baseball. aren't in the Champions League, but oh, I'm sorry. But West Ham is in the top four of the Premier League. That's very good. Oh, is uh Tom's team in there too? Oh, Tom Ori? No, they're behind. Tottenham are behind West Ham. Take that, Spurs fans. Okay, because you guys were always like kind of at each other when we used to work together. You know, uh, Spurs. He's like he's a Spurs fan, right? Yeah. So West Ham are the superior Ham right now. Clearly, I hope they take it to the top Ham. I strongly look forward to West Ham finishing ahead of Tottenham. You heard it here first. It's gonna happen because Cat said so. All right, Nadia, let's finish up with some news. We were talking about Square Enix a little bit earlier. First item of business, now that Saga Frontier Remaster is out, Square Enix is apparently prepping a whole bunch of new Saga games, including porting most of the remaining titles, Romancing Saga, Saga Frontier 2, and Unlimited Saga. They're also preparing a brand new Saga game, which is exciting for people who are fans of the series. Kawazu's power remains very strong within Square Enix, Nadia. I'm sure that shout of joy I heard drifting over the, the air current was Parrish when he heard that there, there was a new saga game in the works. Parrish does love his quirky RPGs, doesn't he? He absolutely adores saga. I think he localized one of the games. I, I can't tell most of them apart, to be honest with you. There's so many of them. And I don't want to be down on Saga. I don't want to be like, oh my God, Saga sucks. I just don't get the appeal. I have tried and I have tried and I have tried. And God bless Square. They keep getting me to try. But I just, I, I don't get the games. I don't understand the appeal. But I do understand that there are fans. But I'm thinking to myself, why are there so many, so much Saga stuff coming out? And yet, say Final Fantasy VI gets nothing. It's so strange to me. I'd love to know what the thought process is going on here. Final Fantasy VI, you get nothing. You lose. Nothing. Good day, Final Fantasy VI. You can play the bad Final Fantasy VI on Steam and you will like it. That's all you get. That or you can uh, uh, play it on the SNES Classic. There's a pretty good translation patch that cleans things up a bit because uh, Ted Woolsey, couldn't, uh, he had to leave some stuff behind. So it adds all that back. And I've been playing it through that. But it's still... It's still kind of sad because, um, I don't know, like Final Fantasy VII is getting a whole bunch of compilation of this and that. Final Fantasy VI can't even get a decent port. Speaking of Square Enix, Square Enix was recently rumored to be on sale, Nadia. It was uh, to which Square Enix immediately came out and shot the rumor down, said it is not for sale. I don't think that Square Enix is for sale. It seems kind of like a ridiculous idea, but who knows? To hear the the you know the chatter on Twitter from people who are smarter than me at business affairs, you know businesses are always talking about who should acquire who and what should acquire what, and it's just part of the discussion. And it happens maybe one times out of twenty when the rumors flare up. Square Enix is probably not it for sale, as you said. I mean, it's a public company, so it's a matter of whoever has the most shares. But I just don't see it in a position where someone wants to buy because uh, I mean, yeah, as vendors didn't do so well. But I guess Final Fantasy XIV probably brings in big, big money, not to mention Outriders has done quite well. So it's, it's Square Enix has had a bit of a couple of flubs, but it's doing pretty okay for itself. I just, I don't see anything really exciting happening in that department in the near future. If Microsoft actually bought Square Enix, I would flip the table. 
I think I would flip a table too. I'm sorry. That would be getting really silly. (laughs) I'm tired of conglomerates. Yeah, just a little bit. In happier Square Enix news, Neo The World Ends With You is launching on July 27th, Nadia. That's a week after your birthday. Hey. Yeah. Yes, it is. Happy birthday to me. And there's a big new trailer as well. Yes, there is. A trailer came out this week at the time of this recording and um, looked very World Ends With You-ish. And surprise, Nico is there. Nadia? Mm-hmm? I didn't like the trailer. I'm sorry. What didn't you like about it? I think that it looked kind of dated. I mean, it's the world ends with you. What's it supposed to look like? <laughs> the art style. First of all, the art style, which was very charming in 2007, kind of looks like old-fashioned Flash animation at this point. And mm. also, I think that just the overall style of it kind of brings me back like 15 years ago when I was living in Japan. And in a way, it's nostalgic, but it's also a little overdone. And I liked the... They bring back some of the characters that I liked from The World Ends With You, but I wasn't particularly blown away by the new characters. And the new the battle system doesn't look great. And I don't know. I'm just kind of out on Neo, The World Ends With You right now. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. I think some of the enemy designs look pretty cool, the way that I remembered them being cool in the first game. And a lot of it, I think, comes down to Bravely Default 2 Syndrome, where people were upset that it didn't really innovate and it looked so much like the old games. And in the end, at the end of the day, that didn't matter because the game just played fantastically well. So if World Ends With You, sorry, if Neo World Ends With You plays well, then uh, that's all I really want from it. And if it's just that, unique sort of style that belongs to it alone i can forgive the fact that it looks a little bit dated it has an interesting time mechanic or something like that i guess that could be fun yeah i mean you you might be surprised how much you like it when it comes up but we'll definitely have to see i think that the combat looks a little kingdom hearts c with the hack and the slash <laughs> oh no nomura did a kingdom hearts thing oh no kingdom hearts nomura did a kingdom hearts oh no who could have foreseen well at this point the world ends with you is basically just a spin-off of kingdom hearts pretty much i mean neku is traveling between both series at will practically yay neku even even the the hoodie that he's wearing with the hood uh about kind of hiding his face it's very kingdom hearts it's like dark Neku. He learned how to flip it. He learned how to put it on properly before it was backwards. <laughs> He's like, I'm a grown I'm a grown kid now. I know how to dress myself. And he figured it out. I dressed myself. I dressed myself. So Neku is Ralph Wiggum now. Yeah. <laughs> I will play Neo The World Ends With You. But and I hope that it surprises me like Bravely Default 2 did. Yeah. I mean it's coming out in the summer where there's usually kind of a lull, so you'll have time to give it your all. Final piece of Square Enix news, because there's a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot today. Uh, There was more info on Yuffie's content for Final Fantasy VII Remake titled Episode Intermission. There's information about Avalanche's additional members, including one Axl Rose-looking guy who is straight-up named Billy Bob. Supposedly he drinks constantly, but can't get drunk. That's rough, buddy. Thank you for the notes, Nadia. You're welcome. I've been in that situation where... Uh, I was in the States, in the Southern States, and people were just kind of saying racist things, and I was just really un- uncomfortable, and I was trying to get drunk, but I couldn't get drunk because the beer was something like 3%, so it was a nightmare situation. When I heard about Billy Joe or Joey Joe, what, what Joey Jojo, whatever his name is, 
and yet how he had to, how he tried to drink and drink and he can't get drunk. I'm like, oh, you know what? I relate to this man. I think this man is going to be my new favorite character. I just got to know his name. I'm really looking forward to FF7 Remake Intergrade. I am going to replay it, Nadia. I am going to be mad if I don't find a PlayStation 5 before then. So, bah. Something tells me that I'm going to get roped into reviewing it for my new place of business. So, I, I think that'll probably happen. You're still allowed to review games, right? Oh, yes. I'm definitely allowed to review games. Allowed and encouraged. Oh, good for you. Yes, you should grab it while you can. Okay, Nadia, two final notes before we head on to the main topic. One, Tree Tales is launching on July 20th. That's your birthday. Hey. That is my birthday. Yay. I'm I'm, I'm lucking out this this year. Uh, yeah. Cree Tales, I think Chris Tales, right? Or Christ Tales. I still don't know how to pronounce it. I, I previewed the game. I don't know how to pronounce it. And Genshin Impact, our favorite game here over on Acts of the Blood God, the one we just couldn't stop talking about last year, is out on the PlayStation 5 on April 28th, it is getting 4K support, enhanced textures, and all that jazz for the PS5. Well, you know what? If I get a PS5, I'm sure the game will not run like garbage like it did on the PS4, and that might be my incentive to finally give it a fair shot. All right, Nadia, let's continue on to the console RPG quest. Don't go away. Vita means life, Nadia. Uh, no, it doesn't. Vita means death. Vita means a graveyard is what it means. I just had to get that out of my system. I, I, that's one thing I, I miss about working with Matt is every time he wrote about the Vita, he had to sneak Vita's life in there somewhere. But it's, it's kind of a reflex. We all have to do it. I like that it says Vita means life, uh, parentheses, gross sobbing. <laughs> Basically. Yes, this is the console RPG quest for the PlayStation Vita, the latest in our ongoing series in which we explore the RPG libraries for every single console that is really noteworthy in that regard. And this week, we are talking about a star-crossed handheld that never really got started. It was the follow-up to the PlayStation Portable, and it kind of had a rough time of it, unfortunately. More like a never got away from the starting block time, or at least it kind of got off the starting block, but fell on his face and just kind of crawled on his hands and knees for several yards. It actually ran, if you want to call it running, it ran longer in Japan versus the United States. But in both cases, it just just died an undignified death in the end. Launched in Japan on December 17th, 2011. It came to North America on February 22nd, 2012. So it is almost actually about 10 years old at this point. Oh my God. It was supposed to be a follow-up to the PSP and a direct competitor to the Nintendo 3DS. It was neither in the end. Nadia, what is your first memory of the PlayStation Vita? I don't remember how I reacted when it was first revealed. I think I was very much, well, okay, that's kind of cool. I remember a lot of confusion over the back touchpad. People saying, like, what is this for except for hentai games? And the end, the answer in the end was hentai games. But 
I did not get a Vita until much, much later. Let's say about 2016. Yeah, I remember now. I was having surgery and I needed stuff to do. And so I bought a Vita, a used Vita, and because I wanted to play, by your request, actually, Persona 4 Golden. So I acquired that. And then I had a nightmare of a time trying to get this the, the stupid proprietary memory card. But I got that too. Uh, the select button on my Vita does not work. I don't know why. But <laughs> one thing I can say for sure for the Vita is it does let you fully remap it, its buttons. So I managed to kind of get around that, but it's still just like, okay, no select button, whatever. I'll just, I'll just do the best I can until I need it. Oh no, I need it right now. Oh no, I forgot it doesn't work. Yeah, so that's my Vita experience. Woo. I was going to say, Nadia, I it wasn't that you acquired the Vita because you had nothing to do while you were in the hospital. It was because I made you get a Vita. You did make me get a Vita. You definitely did. I do remember playing it post-surgery. Not until I was home, though. I took the I took my 3DS with me into the hospital for a while. Oh, my God. Actually, the Blood God is, like, retro at this point. It kind of is, isn't it? Ugh, Lord. It's just like we're now firmly at the point where when we're talking about these consoles, we're looking back on old episodes as Acts of the Blood God. That would have been quite, quite close to the start of when we started podcasting together. That would have, yeah, because that was like 2016, November-ish. Because I was shocked that you hadn't played Persona 4. And I was like, Nadia, you will love Persona 4. It is your, so your game. And then so I, and so I was trying to get you a PlayStation Vita TV so that you could right. play Persona 4 Golden, but it was hella expensive to get it yeah. <laughs> over to Canada so that you could actually use it because you're across the border and all of that. God forbid. Like, not like you can't throw the package or something to the guy on the other side. And then we ended up turning that into the Persona 4 Golden Report, which I think we were running maybe in 2017 or thereabouts, 2016. That was yeah. really fun. Yeah. That was one of our earliest segments, and it was a lot of fun. That was. Uh, we did the Persona 4 Golden Report, and we followed that up with the Final Fantasy IX Report, because that was another one that I was just... Uh, not so uh, clued in on at the time. We also had that little sound drop with the little persona. Yeah, <laughs> we sure did. Well, my first memory, Nadia, of the PlayStation Vita was I reviewed it at launch. So, oh, and by reviewed it at launch, I mean I reviewed a bunch of games for it for Games Radar when it came out. Really. In 2012. Yeah, I think I reviewed Marvel vs. Capcom, maybe? I think Marvel vs. Capcom came out on the PlayStation Vita. Do you remember your impressions overall at the time? I remember thinking that the PlayStation Vita had an absolutely gorgeous screen. I was really annoyed by the proprietary memory. I was very excited by the prospect of being able to play full HD games on the go. And but I was especially excited to be playing PSP games on a much better screen. Yes, that was a very big thing. I feel like, if nothing else, the PS Vita is the best uh, PlayStation emulation system you'll ever find in your life. I remember a lot of my early energy was spent trying to get PSP games that nominally were not part of the PlayStation Store onto my Vita. Yeah. One big problem with the Vita, I think maybe its biggest downfall was that stupid proprietary memory card and the fact that it was so expensive and you got so little memory out of it. And that became increasingly a problem as around that time, 
that's when the digital marketplace started to really started to flourish. And if you wanted to download games and you had like four gigs on your stupid card, oh, good luck with that. Have fun. Yeah, it was a problem. And it wasn't fully backward compatible. You could not just plug a PSP game into your Vita because it did not have a UMD player. And you couldn't, uh, and it had a limited selection of PSP games on its store, which never really grew. However, at launch, some PSP games through Blackmagic, I'm not really sure how it was supposed to work, you were able to get PSP games that were not strictly listed on the store onto the Vita, interestingly enough. I heard about things like that, and I heard about some just how weird the 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 distribution was at the time. Like I think Europe and Japan got Crisis Core and North America did not. And that's one of the best games on the, on the PSP. W- what's wrong with you? I did, however, jump through a lot of hoops just so that I could download Super Robot Wars Z2 2 onto the PlayStation Vita from the Japanese PlayStation Store because I wanted to have it on my Vita. I wanted to have it on that screen. I didn't want to go back to the PSP to play the second part of that game. And it was worth it, damn it. Was that? I'm just thinking of that title. Like, So it's squared, basically. You have a game that's squared. It was technically titled Hakai Hen, which was Destruction Chapter, and Saisei Hen, Regeneration Chapter, which was Bandai Namco's fancy way of finding out a way to get you to pay Double the full price for one single game. So it was not like Pokemon where you had one or the other. It was one full game, but you had to pay double price for it. Yep. It was basically they took one full game and extended it as far as they possibly could to milk as much money out of these crazy hardcore fans like me into buying it. And I did. So it's basically the the, the Sonic... (laughs) Sonic 3 and Knuckles of Robot Wars. I guess you could say that. Well, the the thing with Sonic 3 and Knuckles was that Sonic 3, they couldn't finish it in time. Whereas Super Robot Wars was kind of being crushed by the combination of HD visuals and like higher quality assets combined with licensing fees, which meant Ah. that they needed to get money. They need to recoup the investment on these games somehow. And Super Robot Wars fans are crazy. And they will spend the money, and I did, and I. But it was worth it. It was worth playing it on my PlayStation Vita. I really enjoyed it at the time. I was going to say, they're lucky they have you. One of the big reasons for that, as I've already mentioned, was that wonderful OLED screen, which was so crisp and so clear, and still looks really good to this day, Nadia. It does. It. I have no problem going back to that screen. Unlike other handhelds, you look at it and it's like, you. I can't stand this, but. No, I have no problem going back to the Vita screen. It's so, so lovely. And it was touch-enabled, as I recall. Yes. Yes, it was. Because that was one of the big criticisms of the PSP for a long time, was that the Nintendo DS had a touchscreen, the PSP did not. And so in an era in which touchscreens were becoming more and more prominent, the PSP felt strangely outdated almost from the start. Vita also had two thumbstick, uh, analog thumbsticks, and that was a Big, big thing. Yes. Maybe ostensibly to be able to support a game. Well, I mean, it was going to be supporting a lot of AAA games. And one of the problems with uh, the PSP, trying to put AAA games on a platform like the PSP 
was that if you only had one analog thumbstick, which I think the PSP only had one of them. It, yeah, I think it only had one. Yeah, you're you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> you need to. Yeah. You need to. The DS, sorry, the 3DS was also proof of that. It did not have a second one. It had that really clumsy-ass extension you could put onto it. But the uh, Vita came out of the box with two, and that's, um, that's pretty essential for, uh, as you say, a system that's supposed to run AAA games. In a way, the Vita was, it was almost like a bridge between consoles and handhelds, the way Switch is regarded now. Um, unfortunately, it was maybe a bit ahead of its time, and also the fact Sony did not support it properly. Otherwise, I think it could have been a decent, or at least a half-decent competitor for the Switch. I'm just remembering, I'm holding my Vita right now. It's still a really yes. good piece of game. Mine's dusty. <laughs> it's it's, it's very, it was literally very dusty, and... I really like the dual thumbsticks. It has a nice heft to it. It does. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it, I have no major complaints about its design. I really, really like it. I like the UI. I I enjoy it very much. I like turning it on. It always feels good when I turn it on. I rem- It's interesting that you mentioned the Switch because I had a flashback to when I was working at GamePro in like 2011 and seeing some initial PS Vita games. And kind of lamenting the fact that I it did not have an HDMI out because I would have mm. loved to have been able to easily plug it into my TV and play it that way. And I had always felt like Sony had kind of missed a trick there, but by putting an HDMI out in the thing, it probably would have made it bigger and more expensive, and that would have been a problem. But then the Switch came along and... Yeah, it solved everything. And it solved everything. <laughs> and just the prospect of being able to easily play your plug your system into... The TV helped a lot. And later they released the PlayStation TV, but it just wasn't the same. You know, it, it was yeah. an extra piece of kit. Like it needed to be an all-in-one kind of solution. It did. And you mentioned the how having an HDMI out would have increased the price. And yeah, that was a big problem with the Vita is it came out at 250 USD. And as Nintendo learned the hard way a, a little bit before or after, I can't remember, I think it was a little bit after. People don't want to pay that kind of money for a, a portable system. But what really killed the PlayStation Vita was just that proprietary memory card. It was a huge problem. I think if, I mean, it has a list of problems, but that I think was number one. Because as I said, I had a hard time finding that stupid card. And I don't remember if people had problems to begin with on the day of launch, but it couldn't have been easy. Because you pick up a Switch, you pick up a 3DS, oh, here's your SD card, you're good to go. You can get, like, a ton of gigs for dirt cheap. Not so with the Vita. It was hard to find, small increments of memory, very expensive. What was the justification for doing that other than we're Sony and we like proprietary garbage? Who knows, but it was outrageously expensive and too small, which Mm, meant that... Too small, yeah. So just... And it was... By and large, a pretty heavily digital system compared to the PSP, for sure. So, like, you could get games that were physical, but probably you were going to be spending a lot more time on the PlayStation Store. And just, you could only fit a couple games onto the the launch uh, memory card. It was a problem. Yeah, I feel like maybe the uppers at Sony, the upper echelon, maybe had a fight over the future of uh like mediums because it feels like they really went half seas on this 
where you had, okay, we have to have physical support. Fine. At the time it was normal. But then you have uh, probably another side who said, well, digital gaming is going to be big. It's going to just only get bigger from here on in. You got to give people the space they need to download these games and play them. And someone at Sony might have said, no, we're not really interested in that. Physical is going to be the future forever. And physical is not the future forever. What's funny is that everybody thinks of the Vita as having no games, right? But it actually had a fairly robust launch lineup. I mean, it launched with an Uncharted game as as its anchor game. And it also had Wipeout, which looked terrific, and had Super Stardust Delta, another game that looked different, uh, ex- excellent. And it had like, you know, seven or eight PlayStation games right at launch, including Hot Shots, Golf, and all of that. And then beyond that, it had Gravity Rush, which was an excellent game. That was a launch window game. And it had decent third-party support. Not amazing, but, you know, it had a couple of sports games in there. It had Luminous. Luminous came back. And also, it had Touch My Katamari, which by that time, Katamari was definitely being a little bit played out. But Yeah, yeah. I could never get into it because the motion sickness in that game, oh, man, it's bad, bad, bad. Yeah, it had a pretty robust launch lineup, not like the most blow-your-mind launch lineup, but certainly there was stuff to play, and most of it was at least decent. Yeah, I had Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom 3, and it looked darn good. Too many things working against it. The price was one. The memory card was another. I don't recall the marketing being that exciting or in-your-face or cool. Um, it just kind of fizzled out after after a time, especially in, in the U.S. Well, it seemed like Sony got bored of the PlayStation Vita almost immediately. That's kind of it, isn't it? It really feels like they just got bored. And it's really a damn shame because Nintendo had like a huge failure on their hands with the Wii U, but they still, God, so the, the, God love them. They supported it up to the end and actually came out with some really great games, but Sony was just like, oh, well, this didn't do the enormous explosive numbers we wanted it from like launch. So we're going to let it fall by the wayside and like flounder on. Not to mention at the time, uh, I think that's when mobile games, smartphone games were really starting to cut into things like the Nintendo 3DS and the PS Vita. And whereas Nintendo just kind of stuck it out and fought that, I feel like Sony was just like, eh, well, the future's the future. Uh, We're going to go back to our consoles now. Well, we talked about this on the 3DS episode where mobile games were seen as the future and handhelds were seen as hopelessly outdated. And so many places were pivoting pretty hard. I remember talking to Electronic Arts in 2013 and asking if they were going to support the PlayStation Vita and them basically just chuckling. (laughs) (laughs) No. No, no. They were still putting out a FIFA game on it. But... I mean, the difference between the PSP and the Vita, where EA was continuously putting out a lot of sports games well into the PSP's lifespan, whereas they just basically jumped ship on the Vita right away. They never even put like a Madden on it or anything. So, which was always a bummer to me because I always felt that the Vita could have been a really good sports console if it had been properly supported. Yeah, I think that the somewhat weak performance of the Vita because it started out strong as a new system does then it gradually fizzled out after a time and that's when developers third-party developers will jump ship they will not stick around to see if this system's going to pick up steam they're either there or they're not so they probably had all these ideas for the Vita and just kind of uh, jumped when it realized okay well 
the 3DS is doing a lot better. Let's let's hook up our our ship to that. And what probably really put the nail in the coffin for the Vita was Monster Hunter going over to 3DS. That did not help at all. I think that pretty much murdered the the Vita and ensured that it wasn't going to be successful because I mean the Monster Hunter did so much to propel the PSP in Japan. I would almost say it single-handedly did that. And it propelled a huge craze in Japan, which you could definitely see in the PlayStation Vita where so many games that came out, especially early on, like Soul Sacrifice and Freedom Wars were definitely geared to a Japanese audience who were really into social gaming. And by social gaming, I mean like local, like playing with their friends at the local McDonald's or whatever. So to an extent that I found kind of obnoxious because the games would often not be fun unless you had friends. By that point, I think also gaming was shifting to a lot more online because of the 3DS. And of course, the Vita supported online. It had Bluetooth too as well, which was really fantastic. But the era of everyone gathering in a McDonald's after school was, I think, starting to pass a little bit as we got more connected as a world. And not only that, Nadia, the Vita had a mobile phone plan or whatever. It had a data oh plan. Oh, my God. I forgot yeah. about that. 100%. Supported 3G. I just remembered. I just had flashbacks. Someone got up on the stage at some E3 or another and mentioned that the plan with the Vita was AT&T, and there was just boos <laughs> resonating all through the auditorium. It was fantastic. <laughs> well, the PlayStation Vita's RPGs, much like the console itself, kind of peaked early. Nadia, though I'm sure plenty of people would disagree with me on that front because Persona 4 Golden, that's the big one. That's the one that kind of painted its legacy in many ways. Came out in 2012 and remarkably, I would say, despite the fact that Persona 4 Golden came out on a platform that did not sell very well, I imagine a lot lot of people played it, managed to kind of propel the popularity of Persona 4 I would argue before Persona 4 Golden, Persona 3 was more popular than Persona 4. And then after Persona 4 Golden, it flipped. Yeah, I remember Persona 3 being like the Persona game that everyone kind of jumped on with. And when Persona 4 slash Persona 4 Golden came out, that seemed to generate even more of a discussion. Kind of like how uh, everyone seemed to be on board with Persona 4. And then all of a sudden Persona 5 comes around and that's the one everyone likes now. And and there was a reason for that. Persona 4 Golden, it was beautiful on that PlayStation Vita's screen. It got basically an HD update, had a lot of really meaningful quality of life improvements, like the ability to see what other people were doing online so that you had an idea of how to progress forward in the story. It added a lot of story content in general, added a whole new character, uh, Yeah, like it was just a vast improvement on the vanilla version of Persona 4. And it kind of made everybody, it clued a lot of people into how good Persona 4 was. And I would say set the stage for Persona 5. And um, I have to say one thing about Persona 4 Golden is that it was clearly engineered with the Vita in mind. And that's really not something you can say about a lot of the uh, Vita's RPGs, unfortunately. A lot of them seem to be ports of games that were already out for the ps3 maybe the ps4 as well i can't remember ps2 for sure and unfortunately the vita did not have a lot of original projects but man it has some great ports i have to admit and it was so much fun to take these games 
and play them like on the go or in the bedroom before bed. So I appreciate it for that, at least. Shout out to Persona 3 Portable, by the way, which is also available on the PlayStation Vita's storefront and is honestly probably the best way to enjoy Persona 3 because you get to play as a girl in Persona 3, which is something that you can't do in either Persona 4 or Persona 5. It's a whole different side to Persona 3. Makes it unique. You can romance the boys. There you go. That's all I want to do. I can romance the boys as a boy. I don't care. I'm not fussy, but just give me the option. And also shout out to the fact that there are so many really good PSP RPGs that are actually available to download right now on the PlayStation Vita, including Tactics Ogre. I think Final Fantasy Tactics is on there as well. Uh, I think Gunier is on there. So there are a bunch of good ones out there. There's Adventures of Mana, actually. That was one that was made for the Vita as well as mobile. And I enjoyed that very much as someone who was who liked Final Fantasy Legend. Sorry, not Legend. Um, Final Fantasy Adventure. I don't think Parrish liked it very much. I remember he rated it quite low. But I, that was my first like time I really got in-depth with Final Fantasy Adventure. And I enjoyed it very much. Great soundtrack. I think the, the characters look good. I think the designs are great. So that's that's a decent one to download. We were talking about this on the PSP episode. It's a real shame that Crisis Core didn't make it out to the store on the Vita. Apparently it did in Europe and or Japan, but not North America because screw us. Like I Ooh. said earlier, that's one of the best games on the PSP and you're going to uh, just going to not give it to us. Hey, all right. Sony made a token gesture toward the Vita by 2013. They released an Assassin's Creed game for it. That's right. Yeah. Which uh, by uh, I would say some Assassin's Creed fans will tell you that it was maybe that game was underrated. But by and large. Was that the one that takes place in China? No, it's the one that takes place in, I think, New Orleans. Really? Yes, because this is when Assassin's Creed was kind of set in the Americas. Right. Yeah. Based on the Revolutionary War and all of that, Black Flag came out the same year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Also, Assassin's Creed Rogue, but yes, there are a handful of solid games that came out in 2013. One of them that I played a lot, Nadia. It's not an RPG, really. It's it's a beat 'em up, but I mean, I, it bears mentioning because I really liked it. Dragon's Crown. <laughs> oh, I love the the frick out of Dragon's Crown. Uh, it, basically, it's a spiritual successor to. Dungeons and Dragons, Tower of Mistara and Tower of Doom. Sorry, Shadow of Mistara and Tower of Doom, which I think the artist George Kamatami, is that how you pronounce his name? Yes. Uh, He worked on both of those. So he got to work on Dragon's Crown as well. So you're looking at the same kind of gameplay just with those really, really awesome, amazing graphics. Yeah, I didn't get to play that on the Vita. I played it on the PS4 and I I love the hell out of it. Also... It was the beginning of a really strong run on the PlayStation Vita for Falcom. Falcom, I would say, kind of dominated the PlayStation Vita, maybe more so than Atlas. There are a lot of Ease games on it. There is Tokyo Xanadu. And of course, there is the Trails of Cold Steel games, which came out on the PlayStation Vita. But Ease Memories of Celseta came out in 2013 was not particularly well regarded. A lot of Ease fans tend to put it, it at the bottom of the list, mostly because they're like, eh, it's kind of generic, all things considered. It's not, like I play a little bit of it. It's not my favorite. 
The thing is, the Vita has that, and it also has a, a port of Ease 8, which of course is fantastic, one of the best Ease games out there. So you may as well go for that. I hear that the port job is actually really, really good. I have not tried it for myself, but that's quite interesting. Um, if you want to play it on the Vita for some reason, even though you can play it on the PS4 and the Switch and I think PC, go for it. Give your Vita some love. Do you think that people play Trails of Cold Steel more on the Vita or the PlayStation 3? I don't know. I, even to this day, I think that maybe I didn't hear about it much until it came out to the PS4. But I would imagine in Japan, at least, people were playing it on the uh, on the Vita. I remember being in Japan in 2013 and seeing the trailers for Trails of Cold Steel in various game shops and so being like, what is this game? This looks great. Holy cow. It's like Valkyria Chronicles. Yeah, it kind of is in a, in a lot of ways. Kind of has that same look to it, though. Not nearly as shell shaded and, and cool the way they did it before Valkyrie Chronicles. And I'm pretty impressed that they shoved that whole game onto uh, the Vita because it's not small. And by the time Trails of Cold Steel and Trails of Cold Steel 2 came out in 2015, the PS Vita, bless its heart, was very dead. But <laughs> it did have, it had settled into this niche where games were coming out on both the PlayStation 3 and the PlayStation Vita at the same time, like doing a double release over in Japan. Yeah. Because the PS3 had finally gotten settled in as a console that developers were releasing games for. And here in America, RPG fans, Japanese RPG fans who felt hard done by by various developers who were still coming out of the bad times from yeah. the years before had really embraced the Vita as kind of their niche console of choice. I didn't have a Vita at the time, but I could understand why it would be a safe harbor for JRPG fans, not only because of the imports and the releases that were coming out, but also uh, some good indie games. And of course, the the PS Store was giving us access to these old PlayStation RPGs that we absolutely loved, and a lot of them still held up. And if you go back and listen to our PlayStation RPG console quest, that's a huge, huge one for a reason. I played my Vita a lot. I not even only including Persona 4 Golden. I played a heck of a lot of Dragon's Crown and I played a lot of Super Robot Wars and SD Gundam G Generation on it. If you go and listen to old episodes, I think especially around 2016, you'll hear me talking a lot about how I was playing SD Gundam G Generation Genesis. Ugh, what a mouthful on my PlayStation Vita <laughs> because those games look freaking good on that platform. Like Super Robot Wars V, which is, I, I don't think X and T are available on it, but V definitely is. The thing that I liked about playing V on the PlayStation Vita was that you could put your own custom soundtracks onto the Vita. Oh, yeah. Well, time to like just like wreck some robots to Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction. Because what you would do is you would create a folder on your PC and put a bunch of songs into it and then you could connect your Vita to the PC and then get all of those songs uh, onto a playlist and then be able to play it. But then you won't hear all the cool, I'm assuming, Japanese uh, theme songs. Well, the for problem is that mecha robots. they... For licensing reasons, those songs were often like karaoke versions. So, oh, so not, those are not fun. And tend to be kind of like lower res. Like sometimes they were very good, but not always. Mm. If you right. wanted to buy the premium sound version, you could get it for much more money. 
All right, you could get you could get you, if you wanted to buy the premium sound version for like $150, I'm not joking. You could get versions of the songs that had vocals. But probably what you wanted to do was just put in the uh the soundtrack ver- or just put in your own soundtrack, which I did. And that was a big thing that I felt was lost when the series went over to Switch is that I couldn't do my own uh, custom soundtracks anymore man like they had a they had a great racket going on there i, I mm. salute them oh no salute them i i, <laughs> I probably would have bought the premium sound version as well for the extra soundtracks except for the fact that those versions were only available in J- japanese and i wanted the mm. english version so oh, okay but still that's pretty great uh but hey you you circumvent the whole thing by just uh Making your own? Did you like use like? Did you did you download like Japanese theme songs or and that you're missing, or did you just listen to your own music? No, I downloaded Japanese versions of the songs. Like I downloaded anime Janai and all of that stuff, and was putting it on my my Vita. That's great. That would have been what that was, so 2012. I don't know what I was listening to around then, but uh, yeah, I probably would have been put in like my own crappy ass music. <laughs> what would you put in? <laughs> 2016, uh, I was probably listening to a lot of alternative, probably a lot of Arcade Fire or something. <laughs> Can you imagine? Super Robot Wars with, with like Arcade Fire's funeral. Oh, that would be amazing. Oh, my God. I also remember when the first year I worked at US Gamer, I was coming back from E3, and we decided to do a game club for Final Fantasy Tactics. So I put through Final Fantasy Tactics on my Vita, and that was how I beat it for the first time. Like I said, it's fantastic for those old retro PlayStation 1 RPGs. I, that's how I got Tactics Ogre, which I haven't really had a chance to give my full attention to. But because, well, frankly, when I pick up my, my PS Vita and play one of those old games, I'm going to be playing either Wild Arms or I'm going to be playing Breath of Fire 3. Um, Suikoden 2? Of course, Suikoden 2. You know what? I need, to, I need to do another playthrough of that. Make sure you get that one, too, before it goes away. Uh, I can't believe this. Yeah, it's really depressing. I want to ram my head against a wall. Like We don't have enough depression going on in this world. Well, Nadia, by 2014, the Vita was really just, it was pretty much a dead letter. By this point, Sony was aggressively cutting costs. They released a lighter, thinner, and cheaper version of the PlayStation Vita in 2014, which had a worse screen. I My first reaction was to be like, what the heck? I'm not going to buy this thing. I, I love my big, meaty, wonderful launch PS Vita, which is not a thing that I usually felt when it came to system mm-hmm. revisions. Usually I'm excited for the revision, not in this case. Well, in this case, usually when you have a system revision, it improves the screen. But in this case, Sony was skimping on what made the PS Vita partly so special is that, that big, beautiful screen. I have to say, the rear touchscreen on this thing was really weird. It's It screws me up. Some games will like it will read it for some reason, and it's just, what are you doing? Stop it. As a final gasp, a last gasp push for the PS Vita, PlayStation also started pushing indies really hard on the PS Vita. This was the beginning of what I might call the second wave. So we had the initial wave of indies on like Summer of Arcade and that kind of thing on the Xbox 360 in the late 2000s. The second wave was indies had really grown up. They were getting to be where they would be on the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One. And a lot of them were enticed over to the PlayStation Vita. Not a lot of RPGs, but one of them was Darkest Dungeon. And unfortunately, like in Darkest Dungeons, on the face of it, it's just the perfect fit 
for the PlayStation right. Vita. Like she was like, oh my God, Darkest Dungeon. I love that game. It's one of my favorite RPGs of the past 10 years, I want to say. The problem was that the interface was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a problem. I think that a lot of um, Vita games had, unfortunately, was sometimes the interface could be a little bit uh, it could take up some real, some valuable real estate if you were looking at a direct port from PS3 or PS4 to the Vita. Uh, case in point, I think there was a lot of problems with Dragon Quest Builders, which is one of my favorite RPGs of all time. But I have never played it on the Vita, but I've heard complaints about that toolbar getting in the way. It was like they hacked Darkest Dungeon onto the Vita. They just took the PC yeah. version and found a way to kind of hack it onto the uh, onto the Vita. It was disappointing to say the least and so i ended up going back to the uh, pc version some years later when they released the mobile version i also got the mobile version of that game and that was a bit better but it wasn't ideal on the ipad mini which is i was using <laughs> so yeah so it sounds like it was better off on pc and yeah. was it, did it came to switch right it did and it was also not great there either <laughs> What, what the heck? This is uh, it was a little better, but still wasn't amazing. the The console versions of Darkest Dungeon were never terrific. That's too bad. I think one of the tragedies, Nadia, is the PlayStation Vita. It just came out too early. It came out at the wrong time. So the place, I think the Nintendo Switch showed just what the PlayStation Vita could have been in so many ways. Because the Nintendo Switch. People like to laud that console. It hasn't had that great a first-party support. I mean, outside of Breath of the Wild, I mean, Nintendo releases like one game a year on the dang thing, <laughs> maybe two, and we get some we get some ports on it. But in many ways, it has been buoyed by indie support. Like so many of its best games, like Stardew Valley and Shovel Knight and Hollow Knight, are ports of indie games, like. That's what I that's what I really like about my Nintendo Switch in many ways. I'm not playing a lot of big time games on my Switch outside of like maybe Animal Crossing. Monster Hunter Rise just came out, I suppose. So it's we're, it's having a good moment right now, but so the PlayStation Vita, I think that if the indie scene had been the digital indie scene had been what it was just a couple years later when the Vita launched, it could have done a lot better. The Vita really could have meant life, Nadia. <laughs> Vita could have indeed meant life. It just had too many things going against it. The biggest one being that stupid card and Sony's just indifference to the whole thing. I like we talked about how it feels like they gave up once the mobile market moved in, once the sales fizzled out. I mean, Nintendo's response to the 3DS stumbling was not just cutting the price, but really slashing it and kind of appeasing hardcore fans with those really cool one-of-a-kind Game Boy Advance games. And they were obviously clearly committed to making the 3DS a, a good thing. With Sony, the price cut did not come until much later. It wasn't nearly as big as a cut. You're talking about $50 versus $70. It just never really had that support that it really needed. And it is a shame because, again, as you said, I feel like it was filling a gap that we now fill in quite nicely with the Switch it was, a, it was a bit too ahead of its time, didn't have the support it needed, so it had a lot of things working against it, but if it had a little bit more love, it, yeah, it could have could have been a contender. Could have been a contender. Could have been something, Nadia. Could have been something. But uh, Sony just never seemed to know what the heck to do with it. There were like weird initiatives with the Vita. It had remote play. You could play uh, yeah. 
PlayStation 4 games remotely with the PS Vita. That was interesting. I tried that. I could not get it to work properly. I tried Stardew Valley, which you would think, okay, that's a low res, a low um, resource game. That should work fine. It ran like garbage on my PS Vita. And then something went wrong. It didn't shut down properly. I don't know how it happened, but my game read it as me never, never shutting it down. Or I kept saving or I don't know. But basically the point is my game advanced two years ahead. <laughs> and my far, my farm, the field was just full of grass, which is great because I, I raised livestock first and foremost. But I had left it in the spring. Suddenly it was fall, like a year or two, you know, ahead. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't remember who I was romancing at the time. All of your like, animals were dead. No, that is You're actually ghost town. Uh, <laughs> Stardew Valley, thankfully, is extremely merciful with your enemies. If it was Harvest Moon, they'd be so dead. They'd be hamburger. They'd be <laughs> they'd be bones in the yard. But no, with Stardew Valley, they just get a little bit grumpy for a day because you didn't feed them. <laughs> they should technically be dead 50 times over. But I was like, oh my God, Shane, who I was romancing at the time, Shane's going to be so pissed off at me because I haven't talked to him in two years. But I go to town, he's just like drinking there saying, hey. So everything was fine. I just had a, a, a farmland full of grass. <laughs> it was so weird. There were a lot of hidden gems on the PS Vita. If you knew where to look, for example, yeah. there's this little game called Oreshka Tainted Bloodlines. So it's, I guess, the follow-up to an RPG that came out in 1999 on the PlayStation. And the idea is your family is cursed and your kids can only live up to two years. And so Damn. basically, you are taking a character, a kid, raising them up, and then they die, but then they move on to the next generation, right? And so you're progressing through generations in the family tree. There are eight different job classes to choose from, like swordsman, archer, spearman, dancers. It has this art style that kind of reminds me a little bit of Okami. It's actually really neat. It's a really funky little RPG, and it's too bad that it's largely forgotten at this point. It reminds me of the sounds of it, like Rogue Legacy. It reminds me a bit of that in terms of concept. If people don't remember this game very well, but Child of Light, which came out from oh. Ubisoft, beautiful game, very twee, and it extremely twee was kind of the beginning of a mini trend of RPGs bar borrowing the grandiest style of game and being able to interrupt enemies who are on a timeline. And I really dug it at the time, but people seemed a little bit out on Child of Light, which for reasons I could never really understand. I liked how it played. I really liked the art style. I just could not stand how everyone was talking in rhyme and badly. No one was really paying attention to rhythm or meter. I don't know how to write poetry. I do not try to write poetry. I certainly do not write a whole game where everyone speaks in poetry. My God, don't do that. But I do miss that line of Ubisoft games. Ubisoft for a while had this kind of art, artistic uh, style of game. And they, which game was it? They, they did something for the First World War. Valiant Hearts. I liked that game a lot. The puzzles were a little bit not great all, all the time. But it taught me a lot about the First World War and especially Canada's role in it. Um, did you know that we were the soldiers who discovered that if you pee on a rag and cover your mouth and nose with it, that will stop mustard gas? A truly so, amazing yeah. legacy for Canada. <laughs> hey, I mean, it saved lives. He's so great. Horrible, horrible death. <laughs> saved a lot of lives from a horrible death. But um, yeah, I really liked um, that game. Child of Light, like I said, I liked how it played. Just everyone had to shut up, but nobody shut up. So that was a problem. 
I, I mentioned how Falcom really dominated the PlayStation Vita. Another developer that really dominated the PS Vita, especially in kind of its later years, was Gust. They put out a ton of their Atelier games. And yeah. specifically, Atelier Escher and Logie was very good. Rorona Plus was very good. And it was just part of this C of B and C tier RPGs that were coming out onto the PlayStation Vita at this time. Also, tons of Hyperdimension Neptunia games in 2014, <laughs> uh, 2015. I didn't really play those. <laughs> Hyperdimension <laughs> Neptunia, if you go on Steam right now, they consistently are some of the best rated JRPGs on that platform. Okay, isn't that the one where everyone, the girls dress up as uh, consoles or yes, something? Yes, they're consoles. Okay, so, so it's a literal console war. That's yeah, it's a literal console war. I mean, it has a little bit of that magical girl feel, but it's very racy, you know. But of course. the game itself uh, is very simple. The point is that you're seeing these extremely cute girls that you're supposed to adopt, and you're looking at them in goofy outfits while they're doing special attacks. That's it. <laughs> oh, sure. Why not? Whatever whatever pays the bill, I suppose. I was reading through the re- the reviews on Steam, and basically it feels like they're memes in a lot of ways. Like, all of the... It, it's kind of like with the Atelier Ryza, where it was like thick thighs save lives. <laughs> It's yeah, like that with uh, Neptunia, Neptunia review. Oh, God. Are people going around saying, step on me, mommy, PlayStation? I'm going to buy that game now. Resident Evil Village looks really good. It kind of does, I have to admit. Um, I'm a bit of a coward when it comes to horror games, but I I might go for that. And then finally, of course, there was Odin Sphere Letrazir, which, Nadia, I know that you really, really loved and have talked about many a time on this podcast. Oh, yes. Good old planet anime bullshit. I love that game so much. So ridiculously goofy and lovey and kind of dark at times. Fantastic character and art. Just, oh, I love those monster designs. Holy crap. You could see those, of course, in Dragon's Crown, too. Just, uh, I said it a million times before. I'll say it again. George Kamatani can draw all the stupid floppy witch titties he wants. Just keep on drawing monsters and dragons. That's the trade-off. I don't care. That wonderful Kamatani art really stood out on the PlayStation Vita screen. Yeah, it it would have. I did not play it on the Vita, but on the PlayStation 4, it looked so good. My, I am so ready for 13 Sentinel Aegis Rim on the play, Nintendo Switch. Give it to me. Port bag. I want, I want any VanillaWare games on the Switch, please. Mm. <laughs> I want Odin Sphere. I want Dragon's Crown. And... Um, I'd probably play through 13 Sentinels again, even though I know how it ends and how it... Wait, Dragon's Crown isn't on Switch? I don't think so. If it is, I'm going to buy it right now. Because they remastered it for the PlayStation 4 Pro. I know Pro. they remastered it, yeah. That's what I played. And, like, it really helped with frame rate. One of the problems on the Vita was that the frame rate wasn't super great at various points. I, I liked that it had crossplay. Oh my god, I didn't even forget. Hideo Kojima... Instead of saying like crossplay, he came up with the the term transfaring. <laughs> oh, Kojima. So when he was introducing, well, this might have been for the PSP or for the Vita, when he announced Zone of the Enders, he was promising the concept of being able to play on both the PlayStation 3 and on the PSP or the Vita, one of the two. He's like, yeah, you can move your save file from one to the other in a process I call transfaring <laughs> we have a name for a kojima no trans transfaring the playstation vita died march of 2019 sony finally pulled the plug on it 
rest in peace. And when we look back on it, a lot of uh, people joke about it, meaning life and everything, but is its is its legacy better than that, Nadia? I think so. I get a lot of play out of my PS Vita when I'm in the mood because it does have those PSP games that you can download. It does have those really excellent PS1 games you can download for now. And it's just probably the best option you have if you're a retro RPG fan outside of getting all those systems or doing the big emulation. So if you are an RPG fan, then I would absolutely say get yourself a Vita. But uh, I, I want to say that, but of course the situation is pretty bad with the store shutting down soon, number one. And number two, the memory card is still a problem because even like the memory cards, even with PlayStation 1 games, you won't get a lot on there. I really enjoyed my PlayStation Vita in its time. It always felt like it was playing second fiddle to my 3DS at times. But there were times where I would be knee deep in a particular PlayStation Vita game, usually a Super Robot Wars game or an SD Gundam game or a few others. And in that case, I would be bringing it with me on a plane or something. It still feels really nice and hefty. I still really like that screen. I enjoy turning it on. I wouldn't mind using it as an opportunity to dig into Persona 3 Portable again if uh, if I have a moment. When I think of my PlayStation Vita, I usually think of older games on it, specifically mm-hmm. PS1 and uh, PSP games. In that sense, I don't think that the PlayStation Vita has the greatest legacy like so many of its best games were available on other platforms unfortunately like it's defining rpg arguably persona 4 golden was also i mean it's now on pc it was originally on playstation 2 it was a souped up kind of remaster game for the uh the vita and when i look at its list of games so many of these so many of its best games were on the ps3 or the ps4 like tokyo xanadude got a improved version that came out on later consoles on and on and on which is too bad the vita just became kind of a half-baked portable ps3 it was a little more than a port machine and i know that sounds bad but i got a lot of enjoyment out of it for that particular purpose so even though it does not have the most original or a healthy legacy i can't say it has a bad one it gave me a lot of fun i've spent a lot of hours with it every once in a while i pick it up and I play through uh, in 2 again, or I play through Breath of Fire, or I play through whatever. If I'm, I'm not playing too much in the way of original Vita games, I'm not going back to those, but I, hey, it's a handy way to go back to the PSP and the PS1. The Nintendo Switch is the PlayStation Vita's final form. Pretty much. Uh, this has, It has achieved its final form. It was everything that I wanted out of the PlayStation Vita when the Vita first came out. And also, it's bigger, it has a better screen, and it has Nintendo games. I love my Switch. I get a lot of play out of it. I'm just sad that the Vita didn't have more of a chance. Alas. Alas. Nadia, what was the best PlayStation Vita RPG? See, the thing is, I didn't play a lot of these RPGs on the Vita. I played them on the on the, on their, their original consoles. But you're really just going to have to hand it to Persona 4 Golden. I know it's an easy gimme, but come on. All right. That is our console RPG quest for the PlayStation Vita Thank you for listening. If you want to share your own memories of the PlayStation Vita, do me a favor. Send an email to cat at bloodgodpod.com. Email me on Twitter. My DMs are open, the underscore catbot, or leave a message over on our mailbag channel on the Discord.
Okay, Nadia, it's time for a brand new segment. Yes, Nadia, the March Madness is now officially over, and I'm putting the track of the week on the hiatus, which means that it's time for a brand new segment. Yes, it's time for the most epic RPG boss battles ever of the Blood God. (laughs) Nadia, this week, our most epic RPG boss battle of all time of the week of the Blood God is Miguel from Chrono Cross. Nadia, tell me a little bit about Miguel from Chrono Cross. Well, I actually wrote a whole big thing about this over at US Gamer. You can find it still. It's there. Miguel is an interesting character from Chrono Cross in that, well, Chrono Cross's story is all over the place. But what you need to know about fighting him is that he he encounters you and he's wearing like dad pants and dad shorts and and a stupid hat. And this guy was the friend of... Uh, Serge's father, Serge's being the main character of the game. And at, when Serge was a, a little boy, he was attacked by some a poisonous demon panther or something like that. So Miguel and Serge's father went to find uh, a cure for him, and they got blown off course. They ended up in Chronolopolis, which is not a good place to be. Blah, blah, blah. Chrono Trigger history and lore and whatnot. But the point is, Miguel was trapped in this kind of dead city and fated to guard the frozen flame forever and so you have this encounter with him and he remembers Surges of course he's given himself up to fate like both literally and figuratively since fate is a supercomputer in Cornelopolis he says well if you want if you want this frozen flame you have to fight me for it and you think to yourself haha look at this jerk I'm gonna beat him up he's he's wearing dad pants (laughs) but then He whips your ass because um, he, he basically he knows how to nullify your magic. And what really makes it a very memorable battle is the the scenery and the music. And of course, this is Mitsuda, who composing one of his best soundtracks of all time. And you take you do the fight against this kind of like really, really vivid, bloody sunset. And Lean's Bell, which is part of this frozen history, this history frozen in Chronolopolis, is in the background. It's just a really, really intense fight. Not just because it's emotional, because you have that Mitsuda soundtrack, you know, kind of just going on in your ears, a very tragic sort of sound. But also, he's just uh, filled to the brim with HP, filled to the brim with magic spells. He's not easy to topple. He's probably one of the most difficult bosses in Chrono Cross. And when when you die, when he dies, he's just like, well, fate just kind of toys with all of us, doesn't it? And he just dies without ceremony. And disappears actually goes into the the void like he i guess he doesn't continue in any sort of form it's actually very very sad chrono cross is appropriate since it was one of those ps1 rpgs that may or may not have been available on the playstation vita it's very confusing it was i actually now that you mention it i do have it on the, the vita and i have played it on the vita but i think you had to buy it on ps3 and then you could download it onto your vita i just know i have it on my vita and that's where I kind of went up against Miguel again. And God, I love that music. I just That's the one part of the game, even though I don't understand that game's story to this day. It's just like the atmosphere is so chilling of that particular area, the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea in Cornelopolis. Uh, it's, it's unforgettable. And what would you say is the one thing, Nadia, that makes this particular boss battle such an epic RPG boss battle of the Blood God of the Week? The fact that he looks so stupid and he looks like he's going on to going to like take a vacation in the Bahamas and he, he kicks your ass. <laughs>
I was a little bit floored by that. And I'm kind of appreciative of it because usually when you get your ass kicked by a boss, it's they're a giant dragon or they're, you know, a tremendous wizard. But no, here comes Mr. Khaki Shorts. Here comes Mr. Khaki Shorts. And that is our first ever ep- most epic RPG boss battles of the Blood God of the Week. Thanks for listening. If you have your own boss that you would like to submit for this segment, we'd love to hear it cat at bloodgodpod.com and that is it for this week's episode of acts of the blood god thanks for listening i don't envy how much editing nadia is going to have to do on this one yeah <laughs> thanks cat cat has a bit of brain fog today i have major brain fog from getting vaccinated but i'm coming out of it nadia i'm doing okay oh okay that's good um i hope you have a very restful weekend indeed we will be back Next week, as always, we're going to have a guest. We're going to have a patron on the show. It's going to be very fun. Yeah, I enjoyed our last episode where we answered a, a patron question. Like, they got to truth the topic, and we had a really good discussion about that. Yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited to have fresh ideas. But yeah, next week's episode is going to be about the women of Final Fantasy, Nadia. So. Ooh, that should be fun. Yes, very fun. Okay, we'll be back next week, as always. But until then, for Nadia and myself, thanks for listening. Happy adventuring.